God is good. Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. I've been teaching on Wednesday night on the book of Psalms. And I thought, well, I'm just going to do a series called Summer Psalms. And, and we're going to deal with some of the Psalms. And I don't, I don't want to just rehash what I did on Wednesday night. So I'll deal with different Psalms because there's 150. And so we can take our time and work through different ones. I might deal with some on, I really want to deal with the famous Psalms on Sunday morning. And then plow through the theology and structure and depth of the Psalms on Wednesday nights. So uh, I'm going to begin with Psalm 1 here. And Psalm 1 talks about, let's read it. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, or happy is the man. Because if you look at that term blessed in the original language, it's often translated as happy. So happy is the man. One translation says, how well God must like you. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. How many of us could say we want to live a happy life? I mean, I think we could all raise our hands in here and say, man, I want to live a happy life. I don't think I've ever met anyone that just says, I want to be depressed the rest of my life. Or I want to be sad the rest. You know, we all, happiness, St. Augustine said in the fourth century, happiness is the end. It's the, it's the goal that mankind pushes toward. Even the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence of the United States reads this, and you could probably quote it with me. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So even our founding fathers realized we need to create a society that allows people the freedoms to pursue being happy, right? So we can be happy. Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages asked, what is happiness? What, if happiness is our goal, what is it then? So he, he went through a litany of things that it could be. First he said, well, is happiness wealth? And he said, well, you know, wealth, you can get wealth in unrighteous ways. And wealth is only really good if you bless others with it. So, I, so we can't really say that happiness is wealth. And then he asked, well, is happiness fame or glory? And he said, well, you can be famous for the wrong reasons. How many knows there are a lot of people famous for the wrong reasons? So evidently, happiness is not just fame or glory. Then he said, well, maybe it's power, having power. And 
then he said, well, you know, you can have power in an unrighteous manner. So I can't say it's power. Then he worked through, Then he said, you know, is it anything created? Is it found in anything? And his conclusion was no, but he said this, happiness is simply, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. And isn't that kind of what we're given in the book of Ecclesiastes when the writer of Ecclesiastes goes through what is the meaning of life? Is it, is it just to work and enjoy the fruit of my labor? Is it just to uh, uh, you know, enjoy nature or to, to accomplish certain things? And, and he works through all of those and basically comes up with no for every answer. And then he comes to the end of the book and he said, this is it. This is the conclusion. This is the whole ball of wax. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all. So in the end, the meaning of life, and in the end, true happiness is found in God alone. It really is. It's found in God alone. So think about how many people, are, are, and we have ourselves, pursued so many things to try to make us happy. And maybe forgotten about the central thing. For the central person that brings happiness into our lives. So as I look at this psalm, I break it down three ways. And I'm, I'm looking at, the. I think it shows us the characteristics of a happy or blessed person. Okay, The characteristics. So I'm going to give you three characteristics of a blessed or happy person. All right, you ready? Say amen. Number one is the happy person, the blessed person, doesn't go with the crowd. The happy person doesn't go with the crowd. Notice what he said. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stand, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So the happy person is known for what he or she does not do. They do not walk, they do not stand, they do not sit with the wrong people. You don't listen to the wrong counsel. You don't walk with the wrong people in their way. And you don't sit or dwell with the wrong, the wrong people. Okay, so let, let's think this through in several ways. You know, First of all, I, I think about the book of Daniel here. Because the book of Daniel is really about Daniel, of course, and his friends. You know, The, the three Hebrew boys, as we call them. Their Babylonian names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But if you think about it, when Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered Babylon, he took really the upper echelon, the royal household, the intelligentsia, the craftsmen. He took those to Babylon with him because they would reprogram them and use them for Babylonian purposes. They even renamed them. They sent them to a reprogramming school. Daniel chapter 1 fed them the king's wanted to feed them the king's food and blah, 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 and all that. So the three boys, but, but they maintained their Jewish identity and their belief and what they knew from the word. So what happens? Nebuchadnezzar has this brilliant idea with his counselors that one day he's going to erect a statue, that's gold, of himself. And he wants everyone to worship that statue. So he says, here's the deal. When the music plays, everyone's going to bow down and worship my image. And so I like to think that that statue was placed in a prominent public setting, like, you know, like a courtyard or 
like the National Mall in D.C., or as I said this morning, the the waterfront in Elizabeth City. (laughs) Some prominent place, and this, you know, we're not told this, but this is the way I like to picture it, that then people are transacting business and walking in the open square, and then the music plays, and everyone falls to their knees or to their face and worships this golden image. And then you look around, but here are three boys standing there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't worship. So what happened? They arrested them, took them before the king, and the punishment, of course, was they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they had a discussion with the king, and this is my translation of it. Why do you guys not worship my image? Listen, king. We don't care what you do. You can throw us into the fire or not, but we're not going to worship your dumb image. We're not going to worship this thing. We got something else in us. We know what not to do and the people not to run with and the road not to travel. So they bound them and, and guards took them to the furnace and they got so ticked off they heated the furnace hotter. And so think about it. The boys come bound. And it got so hot that when they came up to the furnace, the guards were burned alive. And then the boys walked on in. And then the king in a few minutes comes and he looks into the furnace and he says, Oh my word, there's one, two, three, four. There's a fourth man in the fire, and, he, and he's like unto the Son of God. How many can raise your hand and say, God shows up in my trials? Come on, he shows up in my furnace. And he's like, bring them out. And they came out. And I don't know, it's not said, I don't know, someone preached this recently, but it, it wasn't said that they were naked when they came out. I think they still had their clothes intact. The only thing that was burnt off of them was their was the rope that tied them up. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, so when you stand and you say no to the wrong things, God comes and honors you, man. And he blesses you and burns off those bondages in your life and brings you out of stuff. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Yeah, so he walks not, stands not, sits not with the wrong people and the wrong things. Okay, others have seen this as a progression of sin. That first, I listen to bad counsel, which causes me to do bad things, which ends me up, lands me with the wrong people living the wrong life. I hear and then I walk. And then I sit. It's a progression of sin, really. And he says this, Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. And who are the scornful? They're the murmurers. They're the complainers. They're the lack of faith people. God says, don't, get, don't sit with those people. Don't make your abode with people who don't believe in anything. If you don't believe in, in, in God, you don't believe in the church, don't believe in Christianity, well, you're going to find out sooner or later it's true. 
whether here or in the next life. So just don't hang out with those people. Stay with some people who believe and have faith and believe that God can do everything he wrote in the book and said he could do. Come on, some people who still believe in miracles. You know, it's interesting to me that I think it's in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus comes off the Mount of Transfiguration, he's with Peter, James, and John, and they've seen him transfigured, and they come down off the mountain, and he sees the rest of the disciples huddled up with the scribes. And the first thing Jesus says is, what were you discussing with them? What, the scribes didn't believe in resurrection, which I'm going to infer they didn't believe in miracles. And a miracle needed to happen because there was a demon-possessed boy here that his father had brought to be set free. And the first thing Jesus does is he comes up, this is my take on it, and says, what are you doing wasting your time dilly-dallying with people who don't even believe miracles are possible? That's where the church has been for centuries. No, we don't believe in casting out demons. No, we don't believe in healing the sick. No, we don't believe in speaking in tongues. All that passed away. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to sit here and act happy. Sorry. It's too late now. The secret's out. God is the same God He is today that He was 2,000 years ago. He's still doing the same miracles. Come on, somebody. He's doing the same stuff he did then. Hallelujah. How many can raise your hand and say, God, do the same stuff in me? Walk not. Sit not. Listen not. Here's the way Eugene Peterson put it in the message. You know what? You know what smart people do? Happy people? He said, you don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along dead end road. And you don't go to Smart Mouth College. Ben Stein, who I think was an economist for like the Nixon administration. But he's a funny guy, but brilliant. He said this, don't go with the flow if you know the flow is in the wrong direction. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But don't go with the flow if the flow is going in the wrong direction. Rick Warren said, those who follow the crowd usually get lost in it. He said, I don't know all the keys to success, but I know one key to failure, and that's try to please everybody. One key to failure, try to please everybody. When others are putting down Christians, it's easy to sit with them and criticize them. It's easy to fall into that. I'm going to tell you a story. It helped me. I had a coffee a few months ago with a Turkish lady evangelist who ministers in the Middle East. She's powerful. She was the head of Middle Eastern Outreach for CBN. And she said, one night I was sitting with a ministry partner of mine who was really downing Joel Osteen. And she said, I didn't say anything. I didn't criticize Joel Osteen. I just listened to her. And then she said, I went to bed and the Lord gave me a dream. And in the dream, the Lord said, why did you stand against my servant Joel Osteen? She said, Lord, I didn't stand against him. She said, no, you didn't say anything. Therefore, you stood against him. And the next day, she called her friend back and said, I got to apologize. I should have said something. We may not all think Joel's a theologian or whatever he is, but he's the love of God to the world. And a lot of people are coming to Christ through that ministry, whatever you think of it. We need to be careful what we say about people. It's easy to get in the seat of the scornful and criticize. 
It's easy to go out and have fried pastor for dinner or fried church board members. Don't do that, man. Don't get in that game because you get in that game, it's like, you're sucked into that discussion now and you're brought down into the depths of somebody's hurt and somebody's bitterness and somebody's unbelief and issues they haven't dealt with and they've been a problem here and they've been a problem there and they're going to be a problem at the next place if they don't deal with it. Did I just say that? I'm telling you, it's, it's, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Get out of it. Let it roll. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Had a man tell me who went through a very difficult time in ministry, a super difficult time in ministry. He was a friend of mine. He said, Hans, when I was at my lowest point, God sent somebody to minister to me that blew my mind. And he said, never Don't be surprised at who God sends to you to minister to you when you're in need. It might be somebody you thought they're not all that. I'm trying to watch my words here. Well, I'm going to move on now. Another characteristic of a happy person is they delight in the Word of God. They delight in the Word. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. I think about the life of Joshua. Joshua was Moses' attache. He was his understudy. He was the one following Moses around. And then Moses died, and the leadership reins fell to Joshua. Now, just sit back and think. Could you imagine taking over Moses' leadership position? Read Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There are portions of those books where God is speaking to Moses in every single chapter. And the Lord spake to Moses. And the Lord spake to Moses. And he's a guy that when God wanted to punish the children of Israel, he said, step aside, Moses. I'll destroy them all, and I'll raise up a nation through you. And he pleaded with God not to do that. He's the same guy. When the unbelievers went over into the promised land and they couldn't see anything but giants and they came back and he said, no, Lord, I'll hang with these people. Just I will not go unless your presence goes because all we want is you. And if we don't have you, we don't have anything. So I'll stay with these knuckleheads in the desert just as long as you stay with us. That's what kind of leader he was. He was on the mountain with God, saw him face to face. He got the Ten Commandments. He stuck out the rod. The Red Sea parted. Plagues came on Egypt. He prays. God sends manna from heaven. God sends quail. Their shoes don't wear out. Their clothes don't wear out. Beat that, TJ Maxx. And now you're going to have to take over his position? And God shows up in Joshua chapter 1 and he tells him two things that stand out to me. First of all, he says, Joshua, Moses is dead. Meaning, don't. I think what the message is, is don't worry about trying to be like Moses. Moses was Moses. You're going to be Joshua. Don't try to live in the past and do things like he did. I've got a new new method for you. 
I think we often miss the move of God because we think the move of God should come like it did in 1957. And we've got to realize Moses is dead. God wants to do a move in 2021. It's going to look like whatever he wants it to look like in 2021. I wrestle with that some because God moved on me powerfully in the late 80s. And I think, well, I'm not going there. Moses is dead. And then he says this. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. And then you'll make your way prosperous. And then you'll have good success. Two things. First thing he says, the law's got to be in your mouth. What does that mean? It means you have to recite it. You have to quote it. You have to speak it. The word must be spoken. I encourage you, speak the Word of God over your situations. Post some scriptures in your house. Put them into your memory. Put them on your phone, on your notes. Text yourself. Whatever it takes, let the Word come out. Because when the Word's in you like that, it's bubbling out of you, then you respond to every situation with the Word of God. You get the negative doctor's report and you say, But I am the Lord that healeth thee. But by my stripes you are healed. But he sent his word and healed them. I am willing, Jesus said, be thou whole. This comes out of your mouth. Or you've been tithing and bills come due. I don't know. Go to Philippians and say, My God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. And this is the word I've been meditating on. And this is the word that's now coming out of my mouth. You know how to transform your life? And it'll transform everyone around you. We had someone that worked with us years ago, and, and they came out of a different type of traditional background. And, and the young lady told us in a prayer meeting one night, she said, you know what? I've been so impacted by you, Hans and, and Jackie, because here's what, here's what it's changed in my life. Before, when anything negative came, we just thought, oh, dude, we're, how are we going to have to deal with this, you know? But since we've been around you, we, we've realized, no, hold on, we can pray. Hold on, God has a word on this thing. We don't, we're not just left to our own devices. We can actually seek divine assistance in this thing and see God move in a powerful way. And then he said, not only does it need to be in your mouth, it needs to be in your heart. You need to meditate on it. Day and night. And the term meditate in Hebrew really has the sense of to ruminate like a cow chewing cud. You know, a cow eats grass and then he stores some for later. And then he vomits it up or whatever he does. And he chews on that a while. Doesn't that sound tasty? But he could just sit there and chew all day long on the stuff he's got stored. It's what God is saying, do store it in your heart. And then you think about it. You pull it back up. And you start ruminating and thinking about that word. You know, this is different than Eastern meditation because God invented meditation. The Eastern world has come about it in this way. Empty yourself. Like, like in, in Buddhist meditation or in Hindu meditation. Empty yourself and then let your mind be completely blank. Maybe say Om, which is a name of a god we learned. And I'm telling you folks, if you empty yourself and call on the name of a god, you know what you're doing? You're opening the front door to your life. And that God, who is a demonic power, will come. 
And he'll come right in and make himself at home because you've opened the door to it. That's not what the that's why you shouldn't practice yoga. Sorry. But you shouldn't because it's, it's, it's about the spirit, the, the serpent spirit takes your spine, the different chakras. I got, you should go back and watch me and Mike Shriver, me and Kezia Davis talk about this for two weeks. But biblical meditation is I fill my mind. I fill my mind with the word. I fill my heart with the word. And then I think about the word and I think about the character of God and I think about his attributes and it so fills me, it transforms me. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. That is biblical meditation. And when that happens, then your roots start growing down deep and deep and deep. And then this third characteristic of a happy person, then you become fruitful or prosperous. You become fruitful or prosperous. And why is that? Because now your root system has gone down so deep it's found the source of life. He said, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall. And whatever he does shall. And whatever he does shall prosper. So the picture here, I think, is of a fruit tree in the ancient Near East. And what would happen with the fruit trees is when their season came to bear fruit, if they didn't have a water source, they wouldn't bear or they wouldn't bear good fruit. But you would plant them by a water source so their roots could go down and find that water. And then in season, when the right season came along, they're bearing fruit because they had found the source of water. So, you know, sun, it takes sun and water, right, to grow things and nutrients, but sun alone can destroy things. Just like last week, we're praying, we prayed for rain. Didn't he do it? Yeah, I'm like treading water getting out of my driveway thinking, hope the farmers are happy, praise God. We love you and we prayed for you. But really, it's on serious. Sun can destroy it, can destroy the crops. And it's like, I think it's like walking through troubles and tribulations in our life. If we have those troubles and tribulations and no word, they can destroy us. Or if we walk through trial and tribulation with no life in the Spirit, they can take us out. But if we walk through them and our roots are deep in the Word, then it doesn't really matter what you go through. You're still coming out on the other side intact and prosperous. And I said this earlier that a lot of people, you know, and I was tempted to do this last year. It took a lot of soul searching for me last year to find my bearings. But, you know, when you go through something really bad and and things don't turn out the way you wanted, we have a tendency to change our beliefs or theology to fit the situation that we went through. And if we don't have a deep foundation in the Word and we have just a cursory knowledge of the Word, we can go through trials and say, well, see, no, I don't believe that anymore. No, because God didn't do it for me. Or God didn't do it for so-and-so. He doesn't do it anymore. And we base our theology on a negative experience. It shouldn't be that way. You should get your, your roots in the Word so deep That if things didn't turn out exactly the way you wanted, you said, Lord, I don't understand. But I still believe 
This is the whole message of Job. In the end, things didn't go the way he wanted. In the end, he got it all back. But nonetheless, he went through a lot of mess to get to the end. But nonetheless, he stood his ground and said, God, I still believe. Several times, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, I shall see him in this flesh. I know there's a resurrection. His wife tries to get him to turn away from God. He says, you speak as a foolish woman. I know my Redeemer. I know who I have trust in. He stood the test, and in the end, God prospered him, and God blessed him. So the message isn't we get everything we want all the time and never have a problem. The message is the righteous person walks through the problems and is blessed because their roots are so deep that the devil can't shake them, the world can't shake them, other opinions can't shake them. Nobody can shake me because I'm standing on a sure foundation. Somebody put your hands together and give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. We're not going to brown. We're not going to dry out we got a constant source of water. We have a constant source of life. But he says the ungodly, they're not like that. The ungodly are like the chaff. The ungodly are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And so in the ancient world, they would thresh the wheat grain, and there was a kernel or husk around the grain, and they would thresh it and beat it to break that husk. And then they would go to an airy or breezy place and throw it up, the grain up in the air, and the wind would blow away the lighter husk and shell or chaff. So he's saying the ungodly don't have roots down to the source of life. And when the ungodly walk through problems, it takes them away. Because they don't have that root system. I don't know, how many of you have been through something that if you didn't have faith, you don't know how you had made it through that? I don't know if you've lived long enough to be, go through something like that, but I, I, I have. And if I didn't fall back on my faith, I thought, I can't make this right. My mind can't handle this right now. But I know my faith is deeper than this. And I know God's got it figured out, and I'm going to trust in Him. So the grain falls back down to the ground. The heavier, weightier things fall back down to the ground. The righteous will come back to sure footing. The chaff and the ungodly will be blown away. Okay, we're going to pray. We're almost here, okay? Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. What's he talking about? I think there's three possibilities here. One is the ungodly will not stand in the courtroom of heaven in a judgment scenario. Once judgment is passed, the ungodly cannot stand, but the godly is going to make it. Number two, it might be talking about tabernacle worship. That the ungodly did not have access into tabernacle worship. It was the godly who brought sacrifice, who were repenting of sins, and then even into the temple and into the most holy place, only one priest who was chosen, who was without sin, could enter into the most holy place, into God's presence. So he's saying the ungodly can't stand in the presence of his glory. Only the godly's going to make it. And then finally, I think he's talking about resurrection, that in the end of days... The Bible says that God will, Jesus will descend with a shout, the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ, the godly, will resurrect and come out of the graves. What about the ungodly? They're not coming out until the final judgment. So in the day of resurrection, the ungodly will not stand. 
But those who are righteous, who've gone by the way of the grave, they're coming back out of the grave. And we which are alive and remain, Paul said, shall also be called up together to be with those in the air to meet the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to come out, hallelujah, and we're going to stand in the resurrection with the righteous. Somebody give him a praise, hallelujah. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The Lord knows the way. Say the way. There's a path, there's a way. This first psalm is not a song. It's not necessarily a prayer like the rest of the psalms. It's an introductory psalm. It's a preface, basically, to the psalms. Psalm 2 is the same way. And whoever edited the book of psalms put those two in the front to show us the way of wisdom before we get into the worship sections of the psalm. So this psalm could really be in the book of Proverbs. It's wisdom literature. But there's something tucked in this that I want to bring out. And that is, he's saying there's a way that we're to walk and a way we're to live. That way will yield fruit and God will bless that way of living. Because there's some people who don't understand how God works and speak out of ignorance and think that if God didn't show up and do a miracle, then He's not working in the world. This was evident in the dumbest comment of 2020 by the governor of New York. He came out publicly when the COVID numbers had dropped, and he said, God didn't do this, we did this. And it showed his theological ignorance. Because if you understand the Bible correctly, you know that we're not competing with God in the earth realm. It's not like either we do it or God does it. There's no coming between us. It's called non-competing modalities in philosophy. God is not a competing modality in the earth realm. Like if He shows up and does miracles, then evidently we don't do it. He does do miracles. But if He doesn't show up with a flash and lightning and do miracles or resurrect someone from the dead or we don't see angels, guess what? He's still moving. And He's still working. Yeah, he's working through the doctors and through the nurses and through the firemen and through the police officers and through the educators and through the common people praying. And he's working through pastors and he's working through Sunday school teachers. And yes, God was in this thing. And yes, God is helping us get out of this thing. Come on. I just had to say that. No, God's at work. If you don't see him all the time, brother, no, he's still working. You're walking the right road. You're walking. You're not listening to the ungodly. You're not sitting in the seat of the scornful. That means God is working even when you don't see it. I know he's still working. When you don't feel it, I know he's still working. When you don't hear it, I know he's still working because he's still on the throne. He hasn't given up. He hasn't retired. He hasn't taken vacation. He's still on the throne. He's still doing his work. He's still, come on, somebody shout it with me. My God is still on the throne, and my God is still working. Give him a hand clap of praise. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, Pastor, I've been praying for 20 years for my kids, and I haven't seen anything yet. No, you hang on. God is still 
still on the throne and God's working his wonders. Hallelujah. He might be into the fine tuning of their heart and their, their personality, but God is still working because I believe our prayers don't just go away, but they stand as memorials before the throne of God. And even if we go on and pass on to heaven, I believe those unanswered prayers still stand before him as a reminder that a person of faith prayed and God said, I see it forever and I'm going to answer in my time. Come on, say when I don't see it, he's still working. When I don't feel it, he's still working. Thanks so much for watching us online. Uh, we're so blessed to, to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin, and I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone, and I thank you that my life has changed in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online. And I hope to see you again.